everybody. Praise the Lord. Okay, that's a little better. And I discovered in my, in the nine o'clock service when I shared this with the nine o'clock people that I probably have about seven and a half messages in here. So I'll just preach it all. You take the one that works for you. Probably some, there'll be something for everyone, I suppose. No, not really. We're trying to continue with a theme, actually, a theme which we started last week. Well, actually started two weeks ago. And I'll bring you back into some of those passages for those. Nice to have uh, new folks with us here this morning. Really uh, enjoy having you here. And I notice that people are sitting in different places. What's going on here? You know, Lois, you don't usually sit there. What's happening? You know, is this some kind of a thing just to mess me up? He's trying to mess me up, right? So I look over the, the people that I normally look at that I know are actually listening to what I'm saying and not just sleeping or on their telephone or something like that. I, th- I think I might put that right up on there. Thou shalt not look upon thy cell phone during church service. So take your cell phone, make sure that it's nowhere to be uh, within your ability to be tempted by it. Lead us not into temptation and deliver us. Anyway, but... Um, so we've been working on kind of a theme. We started on New Year's Day. New Year's Day, I shared a message about Paul, and we talked about New Year's resolutions and all that, and the resolution that Paul had made in himself regarding his own life and his own future. This one thing I do, that's a resolution, wouldn't you say? If you, if, if you, if you came up with like one focal point, one thing that you were you know, really earnestly going to pursue in 2023, that would certainly qualify as a New Year's resolution. And so Paul has something like that going on in Philippians. He's talking about his past. He's talking about all the stuff he's been through. Really, really good stuff, elevated and exalted into the very top of, the, of his uh, time and, and his, uh, the people that he was interacting with to the very top of the Sanhedrin. And he had been honored and he was, but he said, I look back at it now, I consider it all to be just rubbish. It's just dung. It's just garbage. It's nothing to me now because I have something so much better. I have the surpassing knowledge of Jesus Christ. So all that old religiousness that I had, all that old religiosity that I had with all things that I had to wear and things I had to do, he was still doing them. But he no longer looked to those religious things that he was doing as what it was that qualified him to be righteous before God. He realized that he could never be righteous before God on the basis of any amount of good works because no matter how many good works we might do, we can never, be, we can never achieve the standard that God requires because God's requirement is perfection. And we're just never going to be there. And so he realized that all of that was just striving. It was energy. It was a constant burden and anxiety to, to stay within, you know, all the confines, all the parameters of his religion and do all the things that he believed God. And finally, he was delivered from it. He realized, I'm just saved. That's all. Are you saved? Are you saved this morning? He, just, he could just simply say, I'm saved. I'm not trying to be saved. I'm not trying to do enough things so that God will say, all right, yeah. You know, like, as, if, as if, you know, we're on probation with God. I'm just going off on this this morning a little bit. But, you know, he, all of his life he had been working to try to please God. And, it, and, and he was okay with it. He was actually energetic. He was zealous for it. But he realized that all of his zeal was for nothing because it could not achieve what it was that he was trying to achieve, which was to impress God. We just don't impress God very much. Well, we can impress God. We can impress God one way. And this will be kind of, this will be contributory to us finding that way. We, we impress God when we speak and exercise faith. That impresses God. When the centurion comes to Jesus and he says, my servant is sick. And he says, all right, I'll come, I'll, I'll heal. You don't have to come. Look, I, I'm a guy, I understand authority, I know how it works. You speak the word, it happens. Somebody carries it out. So all you gotta do is speak the word. And it's gonna happen, it's gonna be carried out. I, you don't, you know. And, and Jesus, it says, when Jesus heard that, he, he marveled, is what, you know, he was astonished. He was amazed. If you wanna amaze God, 
this guy amazed Jesus because he said, I've never, I've never heard anybody with faith like this. Not even the people of Israel have this kind of faith. So we can, we can impress God, but the thing that impresses God in us is the exercise of our faith, that we actually are earnest and, and that we actually um, live in it and, and consistently, steadfastly attempt our best at living it out. That's, that's what impresses God. So let me go over the, the couple of verses for the last two weeks just to bring you into this. And, um, and then I've just got a ton of stuff. Then we have a little something for you this morning because we're gonna start a little, I, I decided last week I was not being enough of a pastor to you. I was just not giving you any homework, not giving you any harsh assignments, not, definitely not browbeating people enough. You know, nowhere, nowhere near enough guilt in this room on any given Sunday. So we've just got to step it up, you know. We've got to, we've got to become what we need to be. Would you agree, Scott? I appreciate you nodding your head right there. You're going to hammer them. Hammer them, baby! You know, you know with... Anyway, but uh, the, the one thing I was thinking about last week is that um, because of what I'm going to talk about this morning, which is the importance of building your life upon the foundation of the Word of God. That's the title. The importance of building your life on the foundation of of the Word of God. That's what we're going to talk about. We talked about that last week. We kind of hinted at it a little bit in that uh, New Year's Day sermon where, you know, we're, we're quoting the words of Paul and his, his resolve, this one thing I do, forgetting those things that are behind, moving forward and things that are ahead. I press on to the high calling of Christ Jesus. Um, and he says, as everybody else who thinks that they're a mature believer, that you should do the same thing. That's, that's the way it should work. So um, what we're going to do is we're going to, each month we're going to memorize some scripture. How about that? Right? You on board? You should be, right? Because it is the tool. I'm a tool guy. I love tools. I can walk around Home Depot all day long or, you know, Harbor Freight or something like that and look at everything and covet every tool. But you know what? Every tool that I've actually ever coveted, someone wound up giving it to me. It's, it's weird. It really is. I used to go through Home Depot or Lowe's where I'd look at all those radial arm saws and think, oh man, I'd like to have one of those radial, those radial arm saws are nice. But I just never wanted to drop the 250, 350, 450, whatever brand you're thinking of buying. One day somebody, somebody from the congregation comes up and he says, can you use a radial arm saw? That guy gets prayed for every time I use that saw. So I've, I've said this before, if you want the prayers of the pastor with you, give me something. Give me something that I'm going to use all the time. Every time I use that saw, I go, God bless that Steve zip, and we chop another piece of, or whatever. Okay, anyway. And then now we've just made the long, long, long sermon even just a little bit longer. But it's okay, we're so happy that you're here this morning. Here are the verses that we have been um, looking at. I'm sorry, that, that, is, that, is that legible enough? I thought it was, yeah, okay, good. All right, so this is Paul, Philippians chapter three, looking back over his life. He says, not that I've already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, Forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He had one thing on his mind. He wanted to finish the race. And he wanted to finish the race sprinting. Okay, he wanted to finish the race with with full energy. And so, thinking of it along the... You know, we may be... well. We might, you know, this whole thing may be coming to a conclusion. The world has become so insane lately that I'm really starting to wonder if we are not like right at the very threshold of the return of the Lord Jesus. Honest. It's so weird. There's so much deception, so much falsehood. Being accepted and propagated and promulgated by everybody, everybody nodding, although they all know that what they're hearing is a lie. You know what I mean? That, this is the kind of weird time that we're living in where goodness is presented as evil, and evil is presented as goodness. And, and so who knows? We may, this may be the last year we ever live here, Pastor Joe. And Pastor Joe told me also that if I preached a good message this morning, he would get saved. Which, so pray for him. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm coming right over there. 
Anyway, now it's, it's kind of a standing joke. So anyway, so um, that, was Paul's, that was Paul's resolution. I press on. I'm, I'm forgetting what's behind. I'm going forward. Uh, that's a great place to be. And then here's last week's, it brought us Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, which may be one that you already know. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's what we're after here, okay? We're after transformed minds. That's what God needs. The one thing that is most essential, most necessary for us to develop Christ-like character and, be, and live spiritually fruitful lives is a transformed mind. If God gets your mind, everything else will fall in line. Okay, if God gets control of my thinking, everything else will be brought into conformity. But if my thinking is being controlled by something other than what God has to say, which is not to say that I don't read other people's teachings and writings and philosophies, it's all of interest, but only God's word deserves to be prioritized. It is the quarterback. It is calling the play. It is the right information. It is the right direction. So God's word is above all these other sources of information. And let's face it, we live in a world of information, right? Our world is overflowing with information every place you look. So we have to make it a definite, we have to make a definite commitment to the prioritization of the word of God in our life. And that um, passage there in Romans chapter 12 and verses one and two really like zeroes right in on that, right? It drills right down on that very thought. But don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed, metamorphosed by the renewing of your mind. Let God turn you into the beautiful little butterfly that he wants you to be and not that ugly little worm that you used to be. Thank you. Amen, for sure. So, what we have for you then today is a little memory card. Now, we made these out. I've probably memorized this, I'm sure, in the New King James Version. Probably got it down in the NIV as well. But we figured we'd put it in the ESV, I guess just to mess me up. I don't know what I, I can't think of any other good reason that we did this. And so there's a slight nuance in the wording. Do you have these? Who has these now? Is these, are, are they there? No, they're being handed out. There's George. There's Elder George in the back and there's Wes and there's Sandy and they're coming down the aisle and they're just gonna pass out one of these things to each one of you and what I want you to do is memorize it. You can do this. I really thought Kurt's, testimony was awesome at the end of service last week, that you, 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 know, you found it very difficult to, to memorize scripture, he was saying, and it just seemed like it was something that was not for you, not, not cut out for that, and then you heard some kind of a song that you heard when back in the 60s or something like that, and you realized you knew every line in the song, and that's true for everybody in this room. You could go back over tons of music, tons of things, movies, things that you experienced, things that you heard, and they are all locked right in up there. And you know them. You can sing the song all the way through, and yet when it comes to the Word of God, we, we tend to kind of bail on it and think, oh, I don't know if I can really do that. But you can. And then if you have that Word in your heart, then as you're going through your life and doing what you've got to do and driving here or there or doing whatever stuff comes up, you can actually be meditating, and that's what we're going to look at here today, this whole process of what it means to meditate on the Word of God, to actually ruminate on it, to actually chew it up again and again, swallow it back down and bring it back up, because that's what accomplishes the process of the renewing of my mind. That's what my mind needs to be renewed by. That's what it's lacking. We don't have any of that in us by nature. But, so it has to all be imported. But once we get saved, there's a new spirit inside. And that new spirit is hungry. It is thirsty. Feed me. You know, NFL style. Right? Feed me. And, 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 how, and how is that new spiritual um, person fed? by the milk of the word of God. Desire the sincere, uh, the milk of the word of God that you may grow thereby. So, uh, let me get to, yeah, okay, so we've got that one. I appeal to you therefore, yeah, we did that. 
Okay. Oh, no, we didn't. So stand with me. You all have a card now? Okay, stand. Let's stand together. All righty, good. And take out your little card, and we'll read it together. And this is what we're going to memorize. You have till the end of the month. So you've got about a half a month. Plenty of time. You could memorize all of Romans 12 with half a month. Amen. Right? Is that an amen, Aaron? Yes, for sure. All right, let's read it together. Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Yes, that's a good word, right? And I I love the idea built into this that the, the journey with the Lord is a trial experience. You can make a mistake, okay? We are in the process of, it's a trial and error. You try this and see if that, see how that works in terms of how that, how that pleases the Lord, how that conforms to the word of God. So in other words, you don't have to be batting a thousand on this thing. You will make some mistakes. We will all make some mistakes, but we can learn, we can test, we can test the will of God, the good, perfect, acceptable, will, good, acceptable, perfect will of God be, by going through life every day, just living life every day. You know, one day, one day maybe you're a little cranky and you know that you just keep your mouth shut. You know, just cause nobody, so nobody knows what a lousy mood you're in. But you open your mouth and you start griping and convincing and complaining. And then an hour later you think, you know, the Spirit of God convicts you. You think, I shouldn't have been, I should have done that. It was, why, why am I like spilling out all my stupidity, right? But it was a trial. It was a test. It was a mistake that you made. You learned something. You won't do that the next time. So this whole thing is to be a growth process, and we are invited into it. All just, just as we are, that we can learn what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Okay, you may be seated. So start working on that, and um, we'll find ways to see if we can't embarrass you by calling you up to the front of the room when you haven't yet learned this. Got to be some way that we can, you know, we got to put a little stress on everybody, right? No, not at all. Okay, so, um, so here's, our, here's my title for us here this morning. The importance of building your life on the foundation of the Word of God. And ultimately this morning, we're going to work our way to Joshua chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. Okay, now my contention, my theme for you this morning is this. The single, now I think I've even got it here. I do. The single most important element for developing spiritual strength for living out one's faith courageously and for experiencing success in the will and purpose of God for your life is your personal grasp of the word of God and your steadfast obedience to it. That's it. That's the whole game right there. The single most important element, I'm sure that everybody if, you know, we're, we're going to take a look at this passage in Joshua. And God said to Joshua, and if you do what I'm telling you to do, you will make your way prosperous and you will have good success. Does anybody here want prosperity? I'm not talking about prosperity gospels and all that kind of stuff. I'm just simply saying there is a, a prospering in life and in all things, in finances, in business, in relationships, all things under the guidance and direction of the Lord, under the hand of the Lord. Prospering comes to all kinds of different areas of our life. Everybody wants to prosper, right? Um, when he says, so you, everybody wants success. We could find like 500 books, self-help books on how to achieve success. Everybody's after success. Well, God is going to speak to Joshua and tell him, despite the fact that he has this massive project that's in front of him, how he can be totally successful. He has to do this one thing. And so that's what we're going to talk about here this morning, kind of what we talked about last week. And this one thing is getting a better handle on the Word of God, committing uh, the Word of God to memory and just like 
Soaking our minds, soaking our lives is probably just a good kind of analogy. You know, soaking in the word of God, letting the word really like speak to the inward part of our life, letting the word of God convict, letting the word of God reprove, letting the word of God instruct. That's what it's for, right? We'll, we'll get into that as we go along. So what I should do probably is just, let's have a little prayer. And let's just ask the Lord for, to open our heart, our mind, our spirit to uh, what he has for us today. Father God, I am so grateful for this place. I'm so grateful for everybody who's here. I know it's not easy to get everybody's stuff together on Sunday morning and get out and get up here. And it, it's, it represents an effort. It represents something. It represents that this is important in the life of every person who is here. And I'm blessed by that. And I'm sure you're blessed by that. And Lord, we ask that you be present in our meeting here this morning, in our time together. Thank you for the opportunity to sing praises and sing worship. And now to be able to hear from your word and to be taught and instructed by it so that we are no longer going to be conformed to this lost world, but we will be being transformed by the renewing of our mind. It's so good. It's so good. Thank you for this place. You've been very generous with everything. We're, we're blessed beyond measure for all the good things that you have brought. I'm thankful for the people that I'm looking at and, and all the help and all the work and the service that they bring. You're doing a wonderful thing here, oh God. You are doing a wonderful thing here in this place, and we thank you for it. And Lord, we just pray you will continue to do it and use this morning's message just to encourage our hearts, focus our thoughts, and, uh, and, and, and get us, get us um, thinking about getting more prepared, more equipped to be able to fulfill your plan and your will and your purpose as you make it known to us. Pray this now in Jesus' name and for his sake, and all of God's good-looking people said, See, we don't have too many of them here this morning. You know, you know what the Bible, you know, you know you're calling, brethren. There are not many mighty, not many noble, not many good-looking. No, he didn't say that. There's always good-looking people in church. Let me get back to my, what I ought to be uh, taking care of. Okay, so <clears throat> the Word of God prepares us. It primes us. It equips us. It grooms us, okay? Grooming is a word you're hearing a little more lately. It's an ugly contest, context, but they're talking about these people in schools that are trying to push in all this um, gender ideology and gender teaching and all of this critical race stuff and all the rest of that's being kind of like hammered on, on first graders and second graders and third graders. And, 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 and people are referring to these people who are doing this. And, and it's true, they're, they're groomers. They're, they're planting a seed. That later on, but unfortunately, it's a seed of confusion. Am I really a boy? Maybe I'm not a boy. I don't always feel like a boy. Maybe I'm a girl. That's nothing but pure confusion and is being sown all the time. And people who are doing these kinds of things are being identified as groomers. But a groomer, kind of, I think it's a horse type term. Right, that you or or an animal type term that you would groom an animal you to, and to make it better, stronger, more attractive. You would groom it. That's what the Word of God does for us. It grooms us. Okay, it makes us capable and suitable. It equips us to be able to serve the Lord, to be able to do what it is that He calls us to do. Because it, we do not, in our own self, in our natural self, have the equipment. We don't have the right information. We're all we all come into this world programmed with wrong information. Well, first of all, with a bad computer, and then the bad computer gets programmed with wrong information, and that's basically who we are until Jesus comes into the picture. Right? We are lost people with a broken computer, with a corrupted hard drive that is still taking in information, but all the information is at best half true, and a whole lot of it is just downright false and wrong. Okay, And then we come to Jesus, and he says, time for an upgrade. Okay, we'll rip out that old, old hard drive. That's, how, uh, that's probably how Jeremiah, whatever this, 36, would read in a more modern translation where God says, I will take out that old stony heart of, heart of stone and I will put in, you know, I'll write my law upon your heart. God would probably say, I'll take out that old corrupted hard drive, pull it right out of there, and I will put in a new 5 million gigabyte hard drive that runs at some kind of ridiculous speed, right? And, and that's, that is essentially what God has done to the believing person. He has taken out the old stuff. And, out, and with the old stuff, the old man is dead. 
That, that's the reality from God's point of view. You know, for, you, for I died, says Paul. Nevertheless, I'm risen with Christ. The life that I now live, I live by faith in, in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So he was crucified with Christ. He understood that his commitment to Christ brought him to the end of himself. And now it was all about how do I get, how do I get plugged into the good information? How do I get plugged into the right information? So, um, the word of God prepares us. In a lot of places in the, this is, the Bible is full of this one theme. So it's an easy theme really to, to use for a series of sermons because it's, it, it's everywhere in the word of God. Um, I'm just going to stop at a couple places, New Testament places, to show you how this is presented in the new places, in the, in the New Testament. Um, Jesus, um, Jesus in, in um, John chapter 8 and John chapter 8, John chapter eight is an important spot in the Gospel of John because in the Gospel of John in chapter eight, things start turning ugly. Up to that point, Jesus teaching, preaching, his ministry is going forward. But in John chapter eight, they start to oppose him. They start to, they become contentious with him and it starts getting testy between the Jewish leaders and between Jesus. And um, John chapter eight is the, 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 uh, the chapter where Jesus says, look, before Abraham was, I am. And of course, that just about takes him out and they're, you know, they're ready to stone him for that. So it's, it's getting testy. But here's what Jesus says to the people. There are, there are two groups of people in Israel. Some people are kind of skeptical. They're checking him, out, checking him out. They're not quite sure what he's about. They're not sure if he's good, if he's bad. There's something that's not con- consistent with the religion that, as they know it, but you know, like Nicodemus says, nobody can do the stuff you're doing if God was not with him. So, um, in John chapter eight, Jesus says the following. I think, yeah. Then Jesus said to the Jews who believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Simple little formula, isn't it? Want to be free? If you abide in my word, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. It's kind of a fundamental text for us here at Freedom Church, as it should be. That what we, what we look to be able to discover in experiences, experience is what is written about in Galatians chapter five, where Paul writes to the people of Galatia and he says, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Stand fast in that freedom. Don't let yourself get entangled again with the yoke of bondage. And that yoke of bondage could be an old bad habit, could be an old alcohol habit, could be any other thing, could be a bad mouth, an ugly potty mouth, or it could be things that we used to think that were important and good, and now we look back. That's really where he's coming from. Don't let anything entangle you in its bondage. Don't let any, any negative things drag you down back into some type of a fleshly bondage or emotional bondage or something. And don't get caught up in any kind of a religious thing because you have been set free now to discover life. So he says it is for freedom. This is why Jesus came into this world. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand fast in that freedom or in that liberty. Don't be entangled again in a yoke of bondage. So Jesus says, here's how you find freedom. If you continue in my word, you will know the truth. And the truth itself will set you free. All right, then there's another one, uh, words of Paul found. These are, these are words that Paul wrote about his uh, young apprentice, Timothy. And uh, he, saw, he saw Timothy as like an excellent candidate for being a pastor. And he, there probably were a lot of aspects of, of what he discovered, but there's one that's mentioned in this particular passage that we'll look at here in a moment that really prepared Timothy to be able to be useful to God. And Paul saw it, and he knew where it came from. And so he's writing to Timothy to encourage him and tell him, look, that, this stuff that you have, this is the good stuff. You know where you got the good stuff from. You know who gave you the good stuff. So if you just stay with the good stuff that you already have, it's gonna prepare you to be able to do a great work for God. He says to Timothy, but as for you, excuse me, continue, well, yeah, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted 
with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Okay, this guy, from the time he was a little boy, he had a mother and a grandmother. And you know what they were teaching him? They were teaching him the word of God. Whatever they knew of it, however they had it, however they had found it, it wasn't like they went down to a local Bible store. Those things didn't exist, but somehow or another, his mother Eunice and his grandmother Lois, you get that right, or one or the other, or something like that, um, had taken special time with Timothy to just build into him spiritual truth. Okay, so that by the time he's a young man and he meets Paul, Paul says, hey, you got some good stuff in you. That, that stuff that you got, you know where you got it from. You got it from your mama, and you got it from your grandma, and you know what, you're, you know what kind of people they are, and that kind of stuff is, is the spiritual capital that, that a, a godly life can really be built on, an influential life can really be built on that kind of a foundation. And then he defines what the value and purpose is of the word of God. He says, first of all, all scripture is breathed out by God. Okay? In other words, it, the, I think New King James, King James says it is all scripture is given by inspiration of, inspiration of God. So all, all scripture is literally spoken, has been spoken by God, and it has profit. He says it is breathed out by God, it is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work, right? All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for, te- for doctrine, for reproof, for instruction in righteousness, that the person who is being instructed by it will be thoroughly equipped. That's, what, that's, what, that's our job. See, God, God can't do that part of the, of, of the project. Only I can do that. And, and God expects you and I to subscribe ourselves to that part of the project. I can't work miracles. I can't, you know, like en masse save people, but I can let God work in me. I can apply myself to the discipline of this. I can let God's word affect my thinking and change the way I think. And, and if I do that, I am kind of preparing myself to be of great use and value to God and to the kingdom. And what is more important than that? Lots of things are important. Your job is important. Your marriage is important. Your family. So all those things are like super important, but nothing is more important than this. Because all those other things, well, they're going to run the course of history and then we will leave them behind. It won't matter how much money I made when I go to heaven. It won't matter how great my reputation is, how many Corvettes I owned or how, you know, how many trophies I earned. Or, none of that is going to be of any significance at all. Think of this. Think you, you, you die and you go to heaven and you get to heaven and up there is one person, one person that you happen to talk to in the course of your life and you happen to tell them about the Lord and the church and what God is doing and you know, like you're loving it and it's awesome and that person is like it just becomes a, a, like a signal moment in their life and they, and, and they say, I'm gonna check that out and they get saved and they start coming to church. And there they are in heaven. Whatever, you, whatever we've had down here will be meaningless. That one thing will be eterning, eternally meaningful. <coughs> Excuse me, uh, Lorraine has been uh, reciting a quote lately by Jim Elliott, who was a guy who um, went down to be among the Aka Indians in South America um, because he was, a, he was a missionary who wanted to evangelize the Aka Indians. When he went down there, instead of receiving him warmly, they killed him, okay? His wife then went on to have quite a ministry, Elizabeth Elliot. Many of you may have heard of Elizabeth, Elizabeth Elliot. She had quite a, uh, a ministry herself. But she brought forth or taught often on uh, his famous saying, and it's this, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Look that. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. That's the way it is, right? In other words, the the things down here, well, all right, you might have to leave some behind. You may not be able to have all of the toys. It's like they say, he who dies with the most toys still dies, right? Anyway, 
Oh, we got a lot of ground to cover here this morning. So uh, then finally, there's one more uh, little, little teaser from the New Testament here. This is, uh, this is from Peter chapter 2 and verse 2. He says, oh, no, I don't have that one. Oh, we got to go back. Um, I don't have that. I forgot to put that one in. But here's what it is. Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, all hypocrisy, all envy, and all evil speaking, as newborn babes, desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. All of us, get, uh, get, we get born into this thing. We're born again. It's very, it's wonderful. It's amazing that what is going on in our life and how God is working and making himself known. And the, pro- the process of growth is taking that milk of the word of God and just getting more and more and more. And then you go from milk to meat and stuff that requires a little more, little more chewing, a little more digestive ability. But this is how the, the, uh, the process of growth happens. So there's all kinds of examples about this. Um, and I gotta push through a lot of stuff because I'll never get to all of it. But here's a statement. Of all the habits and disciplines that cultivate godly Christ-like character and result in fruitful living, nothing is more capable of producing results in our lives like meditating on the word of God. Let me read that one more time. Of all the habits, disciplines that cultivate godly Christ-like character and result in fruitful living, nothing is more capable of producing results in our lives like meditating on the word of God. The idea of meditating in scripture um, is illustrated by an animal that chews its cud, okay? Like it says in Psalm 1, right? But But he meditates in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night, right? So blessed is the man, doesn't walk in the counsel of the ungodly, stand in the way of sinners, all of that. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He, what does it mean to meditate? Well, it means when, when, when they would prepare a camel to go on a long journey, camels are kind of well-suited to be like desert animals because they drink and drink and drink and drink and drink, and that pumps that big hump up in their back, and that hump essentially is like a water tank back there, and that's what allows them to be able to take long journeys where there's not going to be any water, but they they get that that whole water tank all filled up, and then they eat a lot of food, and animals that chew the cud have a succession of stomachs until it finally gets to the last final digestive stomach, so they chew it a little while, and it goes down, and some enzymes are added, and it gets digested, but then it gets pulled back up, and then it gets chewed a little bit more. It may sound revolting. It may sound disgusting, but it's just the way that it is. It's the way that God made it to be. And, and it is perfectly awesome, really. And so they, they eat their food, and then they get about their business, and then the food comes back up, and they're nourished again by that food. And they get every day, suck every little bit of nourishment out of that little portion of food that they get, right? And, and that's what the process of meditation is all about. It is taking the word. His delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. There are going to be some results from this. Oh, he's going to be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. He's going to bring forth his fruit in his season. His leaf, it'll be green all year long. His leaf also shall not wither. And whatsoever he does will prosper. The ungodly are not so, but they are like the chaff, which the, which the wind blows away. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment or sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. How can I turn from being an ungodly person? By meditating in the word. So that's our, that's our thought today, the importance of meditating on the word of God, of, of, of ruminating on. And that's why we had the little card. There's your little meditation card. Um, so anyway, uh, so I want to profile somebody this morning who is probably one of the most important uh, and outstanding persons in the Old Testament. Maybe, besides Daniel, the most Christ-like person in the Old Testament. Um, and he's even got the right name. His name is Joshua. Okay? And he is this guy who uh, pops up in the Old Testament right around the time of Moses. And um, God has something very important to say to him because God has a real big job for him. There is a real big challenge and he has been given the responsibility. He got the call. 
And so when he gets the call, God wants to make sure that he's prepared. So Moses, or, or, um, originally um, Joshua was commissioned. Now, of course, it's, it's interesting too. Joshua was like Moses' assistant, right? Until the time comes that, that Moses is taken home and then Joshua becomes the man. But Joshua is all the time, he is like right by the side of Moses. He's serving Moses all the time. And then as, the, as that whole thing uh, plays out, like he gets, he gets instructed by Moses. He has the, the benefit of Moses' instruction. And essentially it prepares him for the work that he's doing. He is first commissioned by Moses to fight a battle against these people called the Amalekites. The Amalekites have hassled the, the Jews as they're wandering through the wilderness. And so there's going to be a fight. And uh, so um, Joshua gets the call. It's interesting as well that being the assistant of Moses, Joshua, Moses himself was not permitted to bring the people of Israel into the land of promise. You know why? Because he smote the rock twice, he disobeyed God, so he wasn't allowed to bring the people of Israel into the land of promise. And that makes total sense because what is Moses a type of? The law, right? If, any, if, if Moses is about anything, he's about the Ten Commandments, right? He's about the law. He goes up and he brings it all down and he records it and writes it all out so that it's known. He's right, he writes the first five books of the, the Bible, the Pentateuch, right? But he was not permitted to bring the people in because he had disobeyed God. So that, that, that part of his, that which would have been kind of the icing on the cake, I would imagine, to have dealt with these people, to be hassled by them for 40 years, if not more. And then, but he was not allowed. But the person who brought them in was Joshua. Now, of course, Joshua has the name, same name, is our Lord Jesus. We call him Jesus, that's a Greek transliteration, but his real name is Yeshua. Okay, it is Yeshua who is our savior, right? And so he's, the guy has the right, all the, all the right stuff is built in about this guy, Joshua. He's gonna be the servant, he's gonna be Moses' right-hand man. He's a man of war, he's a man of valor, he's a man of character, he's a man of tenacious faith, he's a man of service. You know something, if you aspire to be in leadership, in anything, the best way you can possibly get prepared is make yourself a servant. You know that? If you have any business at all, and, and let's say if you hire people, if people work for you at all, and you see somebody come into your business, and they're learning it, and they're getting it, and they are appreciating it, and they're valuing it, right? You're going like, I like this guy. This guy's going places, right? because you see that they have a love, they have an affinity, an affection for the very thing that you have an affection for, and so they're serving you, and in serving you and helping you get their stuff done, they are preparing themselves to actually occupy a place of leadership. Joshua is a perfect type of that. He is absolutely a type of that. When Moses goes up the mountain, Joshua sits down at the bottom of the mountain, waiting, waiting for him to come back. When Moses goes to the tent of meeting to hang out with the Lord, Joshua waits outside the door of the tent of the meeting. But in every way, he is showing by his servant attitude that, um, that, that he appreciates and loves what's going on here. And so it's no wonder then that as Moses, it, like as his time runs out, God, the next, the next man up is this guy, Joshua. And as I said before, he has this massive, gigantic project that's out in front of him. So uh, I had about like 400 things to tell you about Joshua here this morning, but we're just, we're just not gonna get to him. But let me, let me just get right to the, the, uh, the chapter here. And we're gonna go to Joshua chapter one. And in Joshua chapter one, again, what has happened here is M Moses is the guy who writes the first five books and we get to the end of, of the last book, the book of Deuteronomy, is really Moses preaching about five sermons to the people of Israel because he, is, uh, he is getting them ready. He is getting them prepared. They've been wandering for 40 years. They've been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years because they refused to believe that the God who got them supernaturally out of Egypt, who broke the yoke of bondage, who destroyed the Egyptian army and got them out of there, they absolutely refused to believe that that same God could get them in. Even though he had promised, look, I'm gonna give you houses that you didn't build, I'm gonna give you 
cars that no, no, you say that. You know, I'm going to give you wells that you didn't dig. I'm going to give you fruit trees that you didn't plant, vineyards that you didn't plant. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to provide everything that you need. We have the same promise, but it's a slightly different context. The promises to Israel are all about life in this world. Houses, wells, fruit trees, all these things. The promises to Israel were primarily about God's blessings upon them in this world. And if they would, be, would have been obedient to God, God would have made them blessed and prosperous like no other nation that has ever existed. But unfortunately, the people of Israel failed, as we all do, in, in living up to the standard, right? So, um, uh, so God, uh, brings, so God brings Moses to the end of, of his run, so to speak, and then that's where we, we pick up the narrative. Moses has fulfilled his charge, but now, and, and I guess just so, just so that everybody knows, although I think probably everybody in this room pretty much does know the story of the Exodus, it is, it is an exact duplicate or a parallel to what happens to us when we get saved. The whole Exodus thing is all about salvation. It happened 1,500 years before salvation ever even came because God wanted to say, I'm gonna draw a little picture of this right here. This is what it's gonna look like because the people that I'm gonna liberate are gonna be uh, enslaved. And that's kind of the way it works with us in this world. We come into this world and it all looks pretty good. All looks pretty interesting. All looks pretty enjoyable. All looks pretty exciting. And so somehow we begin to like, oh yeah, I think I want some of that. Oh, it looks pretty good. Yes, yeah, he looks all right. And, right. and before you know it, you're like, you're playing your hand and you're working your stuff and you're living in the world and you're thinking, well, this is nice. But sooner or later, that world bites back. Sooner or later, that appetite, that craving, that desire that is in us, that uncontrolled, unsubmitted desire for things in this world and benefits and what have you runs away with itself because we unfortunately are selfish by nature in our, in our own natural selves. And so that selfishness kicks in and at some point, the nice, good, pretty, lovely, desirable world becomes a house of bondage. Could be... Could be sexual bondage, could be emotional bondage, could be substance bondage, anything. There's, there's, and there's no shortage of them everywhere. And so this is what happens. And so the people of Israel, when they got into Egypt, it was great. They went down there to be with Joseph and they're being welcomed. It's wonderful to have all these people of Israel here. But about 150 or 200 years into it, the people of Egypt start going, I don't know about these people. They're getting a little too populated over there and we could have some real trouble with them. So we better put them in some restriction. They make slaves out of them. So anyway, I'm, I'm just trying to catch that, this theme, because their deliverance from slavery. So they're crying out to God because they have these hard taskmasters. And then ultimately, God sends along Moses, and Moses says, let my people go, and the whole, it is an exact parallel to what happens to us when we get saved. We are prisoners in the house of bondage. Along comes Jesus. The, the, the blood of the Passover is, is applied to the, so to speak, to the door of our life, to the door of our house. We wind up coming into the kingdom. God turns us loose, sets us free from the bondage of Egypt, and then we wind out. But God didn't just bring us out of Egypt to get us out of Egypt. God brings us out of Egypt to bring us into the land of promise. That is so important. All right, it's one thing, many times I think people only see salvation as like getting out of sin and bad stuff but not as what it was intended to be, which is, let me get into the good stuff. Let me get my hands dirty in this kingdom. Let me get involved with this whole thing. Let me work it and serve it and help it and cause it to grow in some way, all right? And so I, I think we, we tend to get a little short-sighted. So what happened to these people of Israel? They got liberated from Egypt. They come out. They wind up out in the wilderness. They wind up in the Sinai Peninsula. They're wandering around, but they're griping. They're kvetching. They're complaining. We don't have any water out here. Did you just bring us out here to kill us? And you know, they're, now they're going to gripe to Moses. 40 years he put up with this, right? 40 years. The trip, time is it? Holy mackerel. It's going to take me 40 years just to get the next few points out of it. The trip from Egypt to Canaan takes 11 days to walk. 11 days. It took them 40 years to get from Egypt to Canaan. Why? Because they absolutely refused to believe that the God who had cut them loose, 
who had destroyed the power of bondage that had been over their life, who had set them free and now was saying, the, uh, and, and claiming them as his own people and telling them, look at I got it all covered. I promised it 500 years ago. You guys are gonna inherit this promise. I promised it to Abraham. I promised it to Jacob, Isaac. All of those people knew that I was promising them a certain piece of real estate, but they never got it. They never fully came into it, but you're the guys that are gonna get it. They refused to believe that, even though they had seen, it's, it's kind of a commentary on like, you know, sometimes we think, oh, if I could only see a miracle, that'd really be like a fired up believer. Not necessarily, okay? Because the thing that, the thing that God prizes and values most is faith. Faith is the substance of things not seen, the evidence of things hoped for. Right? It's not the thing that you see. Oh, I've seen blind eyes open. I've seen you know, the limbs regrown or something like that. All, that's, all, all that is good. All that fits within the context of the kingdom. But those kinds of things will not necessarily develop you spiritually. They certainly didn't develop the people of Israel. The people of Israel saw all those miraculous things, but they, oh, I'm, I'm gonna, this is gonna have to be Joshua part one and part two. So, so it's an 11 days journey and they come out of the land of, of um, Egypt and they're crossing the Sinai Peninsula and they get to, uh, to, to where, they're, where they are able at that, but they would be able <coughs> excuse me, to enter into the promised land. And, and, and it's about to, it, it, it's, on the, it's on the agenda. But they say, you know something, we need to send some people in there, see what's going on. We need, we need to kind of get a little scouting party to find out what, what this place is really like so that we can prepare ourselves for what's coming. So they send out this team of, this little posse, 12 men, right? One man from each of the tribes of Israel. They send out 12 men and they go out into this new um, land of Canaan where they are, that God has promised them will be theirs. They go out to this land of Canaan and there they see some really interesting things. And they come back, and somebody, probably no, no doubt a preacher, Pastor Joe, somewhere along the line said that 10 came back with the gripes, two came back with the grapes. Yeah. Right? 10 came back, and they said, no way. They, they infused this very, very discouraging um, report to the rest of the people of Israel. They said, no way. There's no way we're taking that land. There's giants in that land. And there were. There were these sons of Anak, right? Later on, we read about Goliath, we read about Goliath and, and, he, and, and we're told in the story when, between uh, Goliath and David that, that Goliath had five brothers. Or four brothers. That's why David put five stones in the sling, right? So Pastor Joe knows all this. He's no, no fun to preach to you. <laughs> but anyway... So there were, there was like nine and 10 feet tall people there living in that land. And so they come back and they say, uh, this is crazy. No way we can deal with these people. They're like giants over there and we're like grasshoppers. And we're like nothing before them. We don't have a chance, right? And, but, but two of them came back and said, no problem. So, so it was either no way or no problem, right? Two said, no problem hey, God got us out of there. God has been raining manna on us for like days now. Every day we wake up and there's this new food on the ground. I'm not quite sure how to make it, how to prepare it, and I'm not real sure about what it actually can be used, what recipe it can be useful in, but somehow or another, every day we wake up and there's food on the ground. Pretty amazing. So if, if every day we can wake up and there's food on the ground, I guess God can do some amazing things. So maybe, maybe we can get it done with him uh, you know, on our side. And, and, and you know, and then, there, there, then there's that, that pillar of fire that just kind of lights up every night. And, you know, whenever nighttime comes, all of a sudden, there's this giant pillar of fire in the middle of the camp. So a God that can do that, then there's that cloud that covers us so wherever we go, it's always shady and it's always nice, right? They, that, was what, that was the report that um, Caleb and Joshua gave. They said, no problem. We can certainly do this. We can certainly take this land. Are you kidding? They don't have a chance. And the other guy said, we don't have a chance, okay? And because they deliberately dug in there, they said, uh-uh. 
No way. They refused to believe God. That's the sin that's involved. That's the sin of unbelief. Refusing to believe God when God's word says differently. Okay? That's, it's really important. And that kind of an attitude shuts down God's ability to use people. He says of those people, and, and it's, I forget what psalm it is, but it's in, I think it's Hebrews chapter three, where he says, do not be like those people in the wilderness. Um, don't, don't harden your heart as they did in the wilderness. Let me, let me find it here, and then we'll have to close with that. Oh. Come on. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart, as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation. I said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways as I swore in my wrath. They will never enter into my rest. Whew, that's a terrible, that's a terrible indictment, right? Where God is saying, look, I, I tried everything I could. Make myself known to you guys and you decided you were, not, you were not receiving any of it. That's the sin of unbelief and that sin of unbelief closes everything off to God and God said, then you guys can just die out here in the wilderness. I'll raise up a new generation. They'll be the ones that will go in and inherit the promise. That's where we're gonna have to leave it. Like I said, there's about four more messages in here somewhere. But that's important for us. I don't know. Let's just kind of, maybe we'll, we'll just try to zero in on that point. Is there some way that God is kind of challenging you? And one way it will be that to memorize that little thing. That could be a starting point. Nice little test case, right? Because probably somebody received that and swore and said, no way, forget about that. Right? And, and God is saying, oh yeah, yeah way. You could do that. And so anyway, th- what I find in my walk with the Lord is that um, trials are the rule and blessings are the exception. You know what I mean? I, I, I don't want to overplay that. But simply to say, God's interested in developing something in me and, that's going, and that doesn't get developed when everything is wonderful but he starts developing stuff in us and character in us and tenacity in us and faithfulness and steadfastness. He, he develops those things in us through trials, through difficulty, through struggles, through adversities, right? It is those things that wind up making us strong in the Lord and in the power of his might because he wants to produce strong people because only strong people are going to be able to fulfill God's plan and purpose. Every one of you are predetermined, pre-planned, pre-programmed by God to be a strong and dynamic believer who makes trouble for the devil and helps and, and, and furthers the, the cause of the kingdom of God. Every person in this room. Amen. Amen. So we gotta quit. All right, let's take, um, I guess I should pray. Father God, I want to thank you so much for this time that we have and this time to be in your word. And oh, it just energizes, it infuses strength. You, you in this, where we're going is that you, you were saying to Joshua, you need to be strong, you need to be courageous because I got a project for you and I need to prepare you to be able to step up to that project. That's what God is doing in your life and in my life. He's making us people who are strong and steadfast and faithful and obedient. And those are the kinds of people he can use in this world. He can use us if we are like that despite ourselves. (laughs) That's really how it goes. Despite ourselves, God gets mileages and fruit out of these lives that we live. All glory, all honor, all thanks, and all praise to his name. So Father, we thank you for this time to be together. Thank you for the word that you're sowing into our hearts. Thank you for the congregation that you're building. Thank you for, as I said before, everybody who made it their business to get out to church here this morning. Made the effort. It took some work. It took some, it was a decision. 
And so we thank you. And we bless every, every person in this room, oh Lord God. We bless every life in this room. We bless every family in this room. We bless every business in this room. We, ble- we, we place a blessing over every struggle and every trial and every challenge and every area where there's still somewhat of a, a lack of clarity in what the resolution or solution might be to a problem that we're looking in the face of. We thank you for your, ple- your place and your presence. You are, you are in front of us just like you were in front of the people of Israel. You are already there just telling them, I'm already there, I'm waiting for you. You're, you're where you want us to be and you're waiting for us now. So we, uh, we offer to you, Lord God, these thoughts and we pray that they will just be planted in our heart and our spirit and that they will bring forth good fruit, good fruit and good works and salvation, and life, and peace, and joy, and edification, and strength, and courage to your people. Pray this now in Jesus' name, and for his sake, and everybody said, yes.